0: Hey gang, welcome to another episode of Value Added, the real estate podcast. On today's episode, we're chatting with Jeff Holst. Jeff is a multifamily investor, primarily in Southeastern Michigan, as well as the Chattanooga, Tennessee market. Uh, He is also the host of the Old Fashioned Real Estate podcast, as well as the Last Life Ever podcast. So without further ado, Let's get on with the show. Welcome to Value Added, the real estate podcast where we speak with the brightest minds in the world of real estate who provide, create, and realize value in an ever changing market. And now, your host, Nick Walters. And we're live, so uh, yeah. Let us go back and talk about your podcast, um, old fashioned real estate. So, uh, we we were just talking offline. Your podcast is it's very loose in nature, very similar to this one. Um, but you uh, you're 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 hosting a podcast with a buddy of yours over a a glass of uh, of uh, of whiskey in the form of an old fashioned. Yeah. Uh, so, tell us a little bit about the background of the podcast and how it uh, and how it evolved. Sure, so um,
1: you know it actually started out as a joke for us we were um we were setting up our first syndication, right, so we were we were thinking, okay, what are we going to name our managing entity and uh, we were uh, at Ruth Chris in the bar drinking old fashions, and I just kind of jokingly said, "Hey, you know, let's just call it old fashioned management. that sounds kind of cool, you know people you know it was just an inside joke, right We were drinking old fashioned, so we thought we'd call it that, and we did, and then. Um, we liked syndicating. We weren't sure if we were going to want to keep doing it or not, but we liked it. So we, um, we decided that we wanted to raise our profile and I was like, well, we should have a YouTube show or something. And I was like, let's just call it old fashioned real estate and we'll just drink on YouTube. And then, and we were like, yeah, that sounds fun. So that's what we started doing. We just started drinking bourbon and talking about real estate and, and we've been doing that for two years now. It's been really great though. we do uh, two episodes a month. So it's not a ton of episodes, um, but we've been doing it two years and we've met some amazing people by doing it. Like the, the having a show is like a, it's a game changer for getting to know people. So
0: Yeah, I tell you what. I mean that that's how my podcast started. I my we launched or I think May first of last year. We're in the throes of COVID and and I'm a real estate broker. I'm a I'm a you know, I'm a networker by by trade. Um so you know I, I uh, I used to live in New York City and I still do a lot of business in New York City and and um, You know during during that time um, We legally couldn't show apartments. So <laughs> what, what do I do to just you know to, to stay in touch with people? Well uh, everybody knows uh, about zoom now. I mean zoom is is uh, synonymous with uh, Kleenex or uh, or or uh, You know another another brand name that is just uh, more synonymous with a um, you know, like a just a, a general product, yeah. right? Oh yeah, um, it's, it's
1: crazy. You know, people go on other streaming platforms and call it Zoom, right? Like, oh, we're gonna do a Zoom call they're on Skype (laughs) everything zoom now I kind of wish I had uh, had bought a bunch of zoom stock last March though that would have been a smart move yeah
0: well I I don't I don't even know if they're public or not but if they are I I, I'm sure that they're they're stocked very similar to other outperformers in the last year uh, fill in the blank Netflix Amazon uh, you know anything that is done well uh, while we've been locked in our homes for the last year but uh um, so old fashioned real estate what do um, uh, are, are you guys? Are you guys focused more on commercial real estate, residential? Um, what are some? You you mentioned you had Vinny Chopra on, who's a big uh, real estate syndicator. Um, you know, who? What are you talking about? Um,
1: yeah, so yeah, so on the show we talk about. Um, so Br- my partner Brian and I, who he's probably got the best name in all of real estate. His last name is Leverage, literally Leverage. So his name is Brian Leverage. So Brian and I, we'll, we'll talk about. Um, whatever we think is relevant to our own real estate careers, and we're we have a neglectic real estate investing approach. I mean, we do mostly value add multifamily in mm-hmm. the like. In the like one million to three million dollar range, so we're kind of below where the like big people like Chopra wouldn't. You know, he's not interested in that at all. But um, that's good for us because then we don't have to compete with people uh, for that. Um, so that's what we do mostly. So we talk about that stuff a lot. Um, but it's um it's really an education platform for us. So we'll pick a topic like. Um, mar- the market cycle, and we'll go into a deep dive for about fifteen minutes on the market cycle, and and how you can predict where you are in the market cycle, and what we think is going to happen in the market cycle, and then the next week it might be, uh, you know, just an episode about, um, you know, how to determine the difference between your returns, right? Like maybe return on equity versus return on investment versus you know, return on assets or whatever. So we'll, we'll go through this stuff and we just kind of dive into a topic. Uh, but we make it fun because we're drinking. And so um, we all, we actually usually film like two or three at a time and then release them later. And you can always tell when we get to the third one. Like we get to that third one and we get a little bit sloppier and we start talking like, you know, just whatever. But it's a, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, we really enjoy the show and we've had good
0: feedback. So. That's that's a lot of fun. Now you uh, you got your law degree from Michigan State. Um, are are you still a practicing attorney? And 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 if if you were in law before real estate, how how did you transition from a legal background into real estate? That's a big
1: question. Um, Yeah, so I don't practice law anymore, and I haven't since 2010. So I graduated from law school in 2006, um, and I went uh, full bore into starting my own law firm. I um, built up a bankruptcy firm at the exact right time. Uh, you know, 2007, 2008, I was like, I'm going to do bankruptcies all the time. And then all of a sudden, everyone needed a bankruptcy. And I mean, I lived in a town up in Michigan where there was a GM plant that closed down. Uh, GM had filed bankruptcy at th- that year as well. Uh, and, um, and it seemed like we just were so, so busy and everything was going really well. I had a television commercial. I was, I hired another attorney to grow because my firm was growing so fast. And I was like, this is going to be amazing. And then I went to that, that summer, I went to Machu Picchu, um, which was kind of like the last thing on my bucket list. I had this sort of short bucket list of things I wanted to do when I was like in my teens. And I went to Machu Picchu and I came off the mountain and I got a voicemail from the attorney I hired saying that he had put in his two week notice, which was inconvenient uh and then a week later i was diagnosed with leukemia and so i literally went from like doing really well to really bad really fast right so i went from two attorneys to zero overnight um and it forced me into bankruptcy i um, mean it wouldn't like just like two weeks uh in and i was like this is not going to work out. I mean, I I held on for a year and a half, but uh, but we just never were able to pull out of that. So 2010, I filed bankruptcy. I quit practicing law and I moved to Tennessee and took a job making like six or seven hundred dollars a week. I'm like, I just need to do something different. I need good insurance because my um, leukemia was it was controlled at that point, but we really didn't know what the future was going to be like, and the treatments were very expensive. So insurance became super important and. Um, I wanted to create some kind of income in case I died. So that's when I started buying real estate. Uh, and I was fortunate that it was 2010 and not you know, 2021 because the prices were a lot better back then than they are now. And we just started buying stuff and it was cash because I didn't have any credit. I didn't have any money really, but I was getting bonuses at work and I would take them and we'd go buy like, a, I went with a partner of mine up in Michigan and somebody I met in law school and we bought a condo for $30,000 and we paid 15,000 each, you know, it was, that was it. I saved up 15,000. And I put all of my money into this condo and that's how I got into real estate.
0: Huh. I, I love these stories of, uh, of overcoming um challenges in your life and and getting to where you are now um i i can't imagine going through what you went through battling leukemia but what what sort of uh what sort of lessons did you learn during that time um that obviously got you through it you obviously had the um the mindset and the drive mm. to just keep going day you know living living each day um you know, separately. Uh, what, what did you learn during that time that, that you're now able to apply today? Well, yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is, uh,
1: is just, you know, life's super short and like, you just can't live for someday. You have to live for now. So I've done all kinds of really great stuff since then. Um, last year, right before the coronavirus shut the world down, I went to Africa for the entire month of February. In fact, um, Literally, like we're recording this on February 17th. I don't know when it's released, but February 17th, right now, a year ago, this moment, I was summiting Mount Kilimanjaro, the highest mountain in Africa, like literally like almost to the second, like, cause you do it in the middle of the night and it was the 17th. So it was literally like right now is when I was climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, and it was like one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life physically. Um, seven days up the mountain to get to the summit. And, uh, you know, we left on the 10th, and we we climbed through the 17th, and we came down on the 18th. And we kind of went up the mountain in one world, right, and came down in another because, like, there was no coronavirus in Africa, and barely anyone had had heard of it on the 10th. Mm -hmm. On the 18th, they were starting to shut stuff down in Africa. I mean, it was the weirdest thing. We had no internet access for seven days and then we came down and the whole world was different. Um, it was insane. But yeah, they'll live like now because you don't know what the future is going to bring is super important. Um, and then also, you know, figure out a way to buy back your time as soon as you can. The real estate stuff has been fantastic. I spent 10 years before I got sick thinking someday I'm going to invest in real estate. And once I get my law firm stable, I'll, I'll start putting money into real estate. And uh, that was their completely wrong strategy. Uh, and you know, it's been amazing. Like uh, seven years after I bought my first piece of real estate, uh, I quit my job and uh, now I just live on my real estate and I just kind of play around and have much, much more freedom than anyone else I know. I mean, I'm 43 and or 42 right now. And, and I haven't, uh, you know, I haven't worked in four or five years. It's, It's unbelievable
0: it's such a that's such a great story. I appreciate you sharing that uh with with regards to your legal background uh your education and then your work experience before you said F it," i'm you know i'm burning the boats and, and going into real estate uh what sort of skills uh from your legal world or education or knowledge uh have you been able to continue to apply into your uh into your real estate investing business today?
1: yeah well, so I mean uh, there's a lot of stuff, right? So you know we were doing transactional stuff um you know in bankruptcy, there's a ton of um, mortgages and security interests and different things like that, and there's a lot of like different ways to structure stuff that I saw um, people doing that that gave me a huge you know huge advantage and then even when i when I took the job in Tennessee, I was um uh human resources slash hiring slash financing uh, of semi trucks right? So I was hiring drivers and, and buying semi trucks. And I made all kinds of relationships with banks. And I learned all kinds of stuff about finance. And that stuff is unbelievably useful when it comes to real estate investing. Uh, you know, the relationships are super important. And the just being a lawyer adds a ton of credibility anyway. Like you go into a bank and you want a loan and they're like, you know, you give these little bios of like your background and you're like, yeah, I have this real estate. I'm a lawyer. I have an MBA, you know, and people are like, oh man, we want to loan this guy money. So that stuff has been fantastic. But I think the biggest advantage is just being able to understand contracts and also operating
0: agreements, things like that uh, on a super deep level. Cool. Yeah, that's that's really great. Um, so let's talk about your real estate investments. You said that you you dabble in that 1 million to 3 million dollar range. You're you're staying under the radar from the big dogs that are looking at 150, 200 units plus. Um, so let's talk about your current portfolio that you have um, and how it's uh, stood up to the to the 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 wrath of COVID.
1: Yeah. So we've been very fortunate. I mean, I'm still constantly watching the horizon because I think it's 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 really unknown what's going to happen with the CDC eviction moratoriums and you know all this stuff that's out there still Um, but we have so I have pretty much two markets I invest in I invest in like southeast Michigan like metro Detroit not so much in the city but um, surrounding Detroit and a lot of that stuff is subsidized housing um, workforce subsidized housing so that's held up really well um you know, we're at like seventy or eighty percent um, section eight tenants, and those people you know th- they're paying because the government's paying for them right mm-hmm. and so that's been really helpful and uh, the stuff that we have down in Chattanooga um we've been we've been very fortunate that we've had a very solid um you know collection rate, so we're probably sitting maybe 1% less than where we were at this time last year in collections. Um, And we have like no vacancy and rents are still going up. There's so much demand for rent in Chattanooga. The only issue you have is if someone's not paying and you can't evict them. And that was true for a while uh, because all of the courts have been shut down uh, you know, no in-person hearings, things like that uh, for the better part of a year now. Um, and, uh, you know, they've had a couple of windows where they opened up here and then they closed them right back down. And we were fortunate and able to sneak some, some, some stuff through during that time as well. But yeah, it's been only up reasonably well. I, I can't complain.
0: So your portfolio in Southeast Michigan, uh, uh, about 70 to 80% of the units are made up of Section 8 housing. Uh, How about your Chattanooga portfolio? Do you have Section 8 tenants there? Or or what is the... uh,
1: I have one Section 8 tenant (laughs) total, and that's an inherited tenant. Um, The programs in in Southeast Michigan, there are several different housing authorities, and some of them are pretty good and they're easier to work with. Uh, The housing authority here, uh, I won't say they're terrible because, you know, maybe I'll want to work with them someday and I don't want them thinking that, but they're more difficult than the ones in Michigan to work with. And uh, they give you a little bit less flexibility. They're a little bit slower to react. Uh, And the rents tend to be further below market than what I'm comfortable with, um, what they're actually willing to pay. So um, it is what it is. But we just have we've avoided the the subsidized housing here in Chattanooga as a result of that.
0: Out of your portfolio that you currently manage, uh, what? what percentage of, of the units that, you've, uh, that you have under your control have you acquired during the COVID era? And then the next question is, uh, how have you been underwriting deals differently now than, call it a year ago, sure. uh, before COVID hit?
1: Yeah, so the first deal we co- closed under the COVID era was March 16th, one day into the shutdown. And so that one, uh, it was like, do we actually want to buy this or not? We're not sure. Um, but it's turned out really, really well. That was a big value add deal and we've renovated it. We've been able to get most of the renovations done in the last year. And um, in fact, we just got an unsolicited offer that will profit us a reasonably uh, a good percentage on our investment. So I think we might end up selling that. Um, but that was a 16 unit. Um, and then we didn't buy anything going into the summer. We just kind of sat tight. Uh, you know, just sort of see what was going to happen. And then um, this fall, we started underwriting deals again. Uh, and we just closed a 20 unit yesterday. Uh, and we have a 10 unit we're closing tomorrow today, actually. So we're closing in a couple of hours, we're closing a 10 unit. So, so I'll up 30 units and I've got 16 more under contract. Um, that equates to about... of the multifamily units that I have. So so to answer the question on that, um, what we've been doing to uh, to underwrite is we're assuming much longer periods of time before we can uh, do terms. Uh, We uh, have to be comfortable with the fact that the people are actually paying now, which uh, let's be honest, if you're paying 10, 12 months into the pandemic where we're at right now, you're probably still gonna be paying Six months from now, Um, regardless of what happens with the eviction requirements and stuff like that. So uh, and of course, we don't really know, Um, you know, policy can change dramatically. We're early in the new administration, Um, but I'm seeing light at the end of the tunnel. COVID new case numbers are going down dramatically the last month. People aren't paying that much attention to it yet, but they will. Uh, The vaccine rollout, I know there's controversy about that, but it's been going pretty pretty smoothly, all things considered. A million-plus vaccine doses a day now, Uh, and that, to me – I think we're turning the corner and, you know, we're six months or less from, from the end of the pandemic. So, uh, hopefully I'm right. (laughs) We'll see. Right. I really want to travel. Like I really want, I haven't been out of the country since I came back from
0: Africa and I want to go somewhere. Like it's driving me crazy. I, I know. I, my wife and I were just talking. Uh, so I live in Connecticut. Um, and there's really, there's only three States that we can go into, uh, without having to deal with the you know following the rules uh, there's Connecticut New York New Jersey and Rhode Island which is kind of random um, and we're like what where we want to travel like we love traveling and uh, so I think we're gonna travel to Rhode Island for spring break um, hey.
1: Rhode Island's a nice state. You can get yourself some some lobster on the on in Providence or something out on the pier. Yeah, it'll be
0: all right. No, um, it's it's fine. I mean, it, it's Rhode Island is beautiful. We were yeah. we got we got engaged in Newport. We know Newport nice. pretty well. Um, you know, so we're probably going to go back there. But Newport yeah, is beautiful. It's fantastic. Yeah, it, it is a great little town. Um, but let's go. Let's go back to your market. So you're in the Chattanooga market. Yeah, uh, which is for for our listeners. That's Eastern Tennessee, uh, pretty close to the North Carolina border. If I'm if I'm if I remember, yeah, we're
1: right. We're um we're less. It's interesting. Little so there's two interstates that 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 intersect here. So I-24 and I-75 cross in Chattanooga, and we're. 35 miles from the North Carolina border, um, say 10 miles from the Georgia border and about 25 miles from the Alabama border. So we're kind of in this like four state region, Um, but most of the investing we do here is either in Tennessee, Chattanooga proper, or North Georgia, um, and I, by North Georgia I'm talking like you know 15 minutes from here. North Georgia, I'm not saying like Atlanta, which is technically North Georgia also, but that's about two hours. So we're two hours from Atlanta, two hours from Birmingham, um, about uh, two hours from Cherokee, North Carolina, which is kind of a small market, but um, but yeah. So in two hours from Nashville as well. So we're kind of in this
0: little pocket of surrounded by stuff. So. And uh, North Georgia, are you looking in the Blairsville market at all? I'm not. I mean, I'm really looking
1: at um, uh, Ringgold and Fort Oglethorpe, which are like these small towns that are just south of Chattanooga.
0: Gotcha. My, My best friend from college is from Blairsville, Georgia um way up there uh, pretty close to north carolina that's why
1: yeah that's that's further so that's further east than where we're at so i don't like i mean there's nothing wrong that's a coo- that's a cool little town actually i went through there once it's interesting but but yeah it's not uh, it's a little bit for far for us
0: gotcha so what's in your pipeline what what are you uh what are you looking at um in, in terms of uh things that may be closing in the in the next year yeah. So
1: I have a 16 unit under contract. Uh, it's in my hometown, uh, Hickson. It's like a suburb of Chattanooga. So I'm excited about that. Um, but, you know, we have these big goals for the year. We want to close 400 units this year. Um, I've got 40, 30 that, you know, after today Well, i have closed 30 and I got 16 more. So that's 46, but uh, 400 is 100 a hundred a quarter and like the quarter is going to be done before we know it. And I'm going to be at 46. So I'm like, ha- I'm like halfway behind already, but you know, you do one big deal. It makes, makes up, for it. Another thing is we bought an office building in late December uh, and we're um, renovating that and uh, we're moving into it ourselves. So we're going to, Brian and I are going to move there um, and have our own office space instead of working out of our basement. Uh, or at least I've been working out of my basement. He actually has been working out of a property management company that he owns a piece of, but but we just want to get, you know, doing that. And then we've got some some flips going on, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then Brian's, a, he's in new construction a little bit too. So he used to build apartments. Now he's building houses. Uh, so, so we're going to try to do a little bit more of that stuff as well. So,
0: cool. cool. In terms of raising capital, are you guys using your own funds or uh, have you syndicated any deals? Uh, yeah. T- tell us about how you're, how you're uh, putting together the cap stack for your transaction. Yeah.
1: So um, because we're dealing with smaller deals, a lot of times we do end up using our own funds um, or we'll use like one investor or something like that. Um, but we have syndicated, in fact, one of the deals we syndicated, um, with the 20 unit that we did, we syndicated this year, and we just closed it yesterday. But the total raise was only 475 thousand. So you know, it's six or seven investors putting 50 grand each or whatever in, um, and that's worked. That's worked pretty well for us. Those sort of mini syndications. I mean, we still have to go through all the you know PPM docs and all that stuff, but um, but it's not too complicated. Uh, and so we've done that, and we have a core group of investors that pretty much if anything we present to them, they they trust what we're doing, and they will they'll say, yeah, I'm going to throw in you know some chunk of cash. Uh, and then we like to do these things that they're not really syndications, but they're like not really, um, they're just kind of a different structure. I kind of made it up. Um, basically what we do is we have a couple of investors that are partners with us in an LLC. Um, they're, you know, it's not like a GP thing. It's like, you know, there's three of us, we each own a third of the LLC and they have more cash than us. So they'll like, when we find a deal, they'll loan the money to the LLC, uh, interest only loan to the LLC, and then we'll go buy whatever it is using that capital as the down payment. And then we'll refinance after we stabilize the property and pay them their
0: money back. And we just all keep owning the property, you know, thirdsies or whatever. So, so that's, a, that's a, a, essentially a loan in the form of uh, debt, but mm-hmm. they but they are a part of the management team in this LLC. And they're going to have an equity stake in the the upside in the deal.
1: Yeah, that's right. So they'll get like, we'll give them like 6% interest only. We have two people we do this with. Um, And you do have to be careful. They have to be active, right? Otherwise it becomes a syndication. Um, So you have to have the right people to do that. But these are people that, um, you know they are pretty active in the process, particularly in the underwriting, particularly in in the um, disposition side. But they're they're very active in it. They're, they're accepting the full liability. They're signing the guarantees on the notes, all that kind of stuff. Um, and in fact, are even signing a guarantee on the note to themselves, right? Like and that's part of the deal. But. Uh, uh, and the banks don't seem to care. They look at that as just a capital injection from the partners. So, uh, because that ca- that partner is on the, on the deal, they're like, Hey, we don't care what the source of your 20% down is or whatever. And, uh, uh so it's been working really well. Uh, we kind of fell into that on accident when, um, I was, uh, really short on capital in 2011. Um, we had bought a couple of deals and we didn't have any money left. And, uh, I was talking to my dad one day and he was like, oh, I kind of want to find deals. Like, like, why don't we do something together? And I was just kind of like, hey, dad, like, 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 I got this condo. Like, why don't you, you know, take a mortgage on the condo and then we'll partner up. And, and and you know, so you loaned money on a different deal at the time. And then we found another deal shortly after that. Uh, and he was like, well, I'll just loan the money to the company this time. And I'm like, all right, cool, because we'd already started this company, and then that worked pretty well for him, and he was happy to do it. And then, and then uh, afterwards, I was like, hey, this structure is kind of cool; like, it works. So we like the 16 unit I bought in March. We did it like that. I have none of my own money in it, and uh, you know, it looks like we're gonna pay off the
0: uh, the other guy, and then still make a big return when we sell it here uh, pretty quick. So. Jeff, we're going to conclude this episode with the hard-hitting questions. These are the questions that we ask every one of our listeners. I always love to start out with what's your why?
1: Yeah, I want to help people live the best version of their life. So I actually have another show, which I didn't even mention, but I feel like I'll put it in here. It's called Last Life Ever. And it's literally about living the best version of your life. So we interview people doing like extraordinary things. Uh, You know, one person we interviewed hike the Appalachian Trail for charity. Uh, another person we interviewed was uh, the comedian TJ Miller, right? Like we just interview people that just start doing cool things to help our audience recognize that they can they can do extraordinary things. And it comes down to like me getting sick and saying, you know, someday may never come. Like, you need to do it now. Uh, And so that's why I do that show. But it's also why I do old fashioned real estate. It's why I do the syndication stuff. Listen, I have enough cash flow from my real estate. I could just go live on the beach and scuba dive every day. And that would be pretty fun. I might get a little bored, but it'd be pretty fun, I think. Um, And I just kind of went,
0: you know, this is a great life I live, and other people should be able to do it too. So that's why I do it. Cool. Uh, Is there a recent book or another piece of media that you've consumed recently that's added significant value to your life or your career?
1: Um, yeah, so there's so many. I mean, I read tons of books. If you look behind me, I've got like a gazillion books back there. But I'm reading um, right now, The Laws of Success by Napoleon Hill. It sort of predates um, Think and Grow Rich. It's much more involved. It starts out a little slow, but it's fantastic. Like really, really good. And we're doing it in a book club. So we're like really diving deep into it. And it's really kind of opened up some new possibilities for me mentally. So, Jeff, how do you like to pay it forward? Uh, Well, you know, the shows that I do and and stuff like that are the biggest thing I do. But um, we actually started a foundation recently, the Last Life Ever Foundation. And we take um, and make small uh, contributions where they make huge differences. So, for example, we actually just paid to fix a guy's car who's a taxi cab driver in El Salvador. Um, You know, and it was like for him, that's life-changing money because it's, you know, you give him $500 and now he can... Feed his family, you know, stuff like that. So we try to find and identify the stuff that slips through the cracks, you know, even just buying like gift cards to like, you know, Subway or something for like homeless people. It makes a huge difference uh, for them. So we uh, we try to we try to do that. That's our big thing right now.
0: That's super cool. What is that foundation called? Just so I can plug that. Um, yeah, you know, we don't even have it...
1: a we don't even have a website or anything for it, so it's like really hard to plug. But it's called Last Life Ever Foundation, and okay. um, and right right now it's completely self funded by myself and my partner. In Last Life Ever, uh, we're working on the five hundred three C status. Once we get that, we might put up a portal to take donations. But we have. We, we don't want we, we to make it into a like we're trying to do a money grab, right? Like it's really about just helping people. But we do think that if we get more capital, we can help more people. So eventually we'll start taking cash from people.
0: That's great. Um, Jeff, knowing what you know now and, and your, your life experiences battling, battling and overcoming cancer and, and now building a, a, a sizable real estate portfolio, what would you tell yourself? What piece of advice would you give your your 21, 22-year-old recent college graduate self? Yeah,
1: I mean, it should be obvious, right? Don't wait, just go do it. Um, But the the real thing is, the biggest mistake I made was waiting too long to get in real estate, but the second biggest was not getting into multifamily sooner. Uh, So I would tell myself, you know, don't wait to get into real estate and as soon as possible, get into multifamily.
0: Jeff, how can our listeners learn a little bit more about you and your various companies and get to know you a little bit more? Yeah,
1: so I mean, I'm really active on Instagram. It's at Jeffrey Holst. Um, But otherwise, the Last Life Ever um, Facebook group, we have this, it's just Last Life Ever private group on Facebook. That's where I hang out most of the time. So they can get my best stuff in there.
0: Jeff Holst, this is a great story. I really appreciate you sharing with it, uh, sharing with us today and, and adding your value. We greatly appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it as well. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to leave a rating and a review, which will help us introduce the podcast to other listeners. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, which will give you access to other episodes you may have missed. Lastly, if you'd like to learn more about investing alongside us, then head on over to valueaddedpodcast.com. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you next week.